0: Uh, This morning's passage is from chapter 17, verses 14 to 20, and it's on page 196 of the Bibles in front of you. Deuteronomy 17, verse 14 is where we're starting. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us. Like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not a brother Israelite. The king, moreover, must acquire great numbers of horses, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself, or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God, and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his brothers, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Have that passage open before you folks
1: at uh, Deuteronomy. We're going to range through from the closing verses of chapter 16 to the opening verses of chapter 20. But uh, I want to... Invite you to think with me for a second about leadership. Um, It seems to me that leadership in our world has fallen on hard times. I'm sure that's not the first time uh, that that we've felt that way, but it it really does seem to have fallen on hard times. Uh, Last year, I remember talking about leadership actually at our carol service because we had this unprecedented shift of leadership. I don't remember a time when so many significant leadership posts changed hands. So you might remember last year was the year when uh, we were introduced to Donald Trump, Teresa, Arlene, Pep, Antonio, and Jose all turned up in the premiership. Top Gear transitioned uh, to Chris Evans. Do we remember that? It seemed pretty short-lived. Um, and, and even the Bake Off had a new team um, so a lot of leadership transitioned in 2016. 2017, we've been uh, living with the the consequences, if you like, or living with a lot of these new leaders. Uh, how's that been going? How, how, how do we feel that our leaders are doing? Uh, I was thinking back. The year didn't start too well for Arlene, I remember. Uh, January wasn't a great month for her. I don't know whether Donald is growing on you uh, 12 and a bit months later um, there it is Uh, and what about Kim Jong Un Uh, what do we make of our leaders it's been quite interesting for me to observe our kids and how they talk about leaders almost uniformly leaders are objects of ridicule there's no sense that you would have any respect for uh, many of the leaders that we see. You maybe have a a sense, uh, as I'm starting off here, of what I mean when I say that leadership has fallen in hard times. We're going to be thinking about leadership today. Uh, We're going to be thinking about what it means to choose true leadership as we go on with Moses through this great sermon in the book of Deuteronomy. Last week, we, I, I quickly showed you, I'll show you again, Deuteronomy... Divides up well into three chunks. So, chapters 1 to 11, you have a, an opening speech from Moses. Chapters 12 to 26, the section we're in for these three weeks, uh, is really a collection of laws. And then we'll come back to a, a sort of a final bit of teaching from Moses towards the end of the book. We're in chapters 12 to 26. Last week, we looked at a first sort of third of of that big chunk, chapters twelve to sixteen, and we thought about what it is to to choose true worship today, true leadership, chapters seventeen to twenty Chapters twelve to sixteen were quite uniform, quite consistently on the theme of worship i 'm not going to suggest that these chapters are quite so uniform chapters 17 to 20 they contain a variety of laws um, but i want you to flick with me if you if you go back to just the end of chapter 16 and notice these NIV headings with me uh, starting on page 195 uh, by the way whenever you see headings in the NIV they're not they're not part of the biblical text they're they're like signposts that people have introduced as they've uh, translated and then presented the Bible to us. They they don't have any particular authority, but whenever you're looking at a, a uh, a whole chunk of the Bible, sometimes they do serve as useful signposts. And that's how I'm taking them this morning. So you'll see there, chapter 16, verse 18, talks about judges. Chapter then, verse 21, worshipping other gods, law courts, the king... Offerings for Priests and Levites, Detestable Practices, The Prophet, Cities of Refuge, Witnesses, Going to War. So of these ten headings, I think five of them are explicitly about leadership. Even the ones that aren't uh, tend to be about, even the ones that aren't about who should be specifically appointed and to what roles, it tends to be about how they should offer their leadership. So it gives case studies, the kind of cases that might arise, and it also gives us an idea of how a leader should act uh, when these cases arise. So although there's a a wider range of laws here, I, I hope it's not too much of a stretch to take the whole chunk and to look at it under this heading and to say that it's about leadership. Four types of leaders emerge Um, And I'm going to take a moment. I think it'd do no harm for us to see who they are, to, to see what we can just learn. One thing you'll notice is that there's a diverse range of leaders in Israel. No single person can play all the roles. None of these people is given supreme authority over all the others. They're sort of like a check and a balance on each other. And it seems that when God constituted his people... He wanted to make human leadership diverse and flat. There's only one supreme authority in Israel, and it's not the king, it's the Lord God. Let's take a moment to notice who these uh, four leaders are there's a judge, a king, a priest, and a prophet. The judge, we're introduced to the judge in chapter 16, verse 18. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you. At its most basic level, justice is administered in Israel by local people at a local level. Local people who've been elected or appointed for that purpose. We're not really told much about how. They're going to administer that justice. But there's one fundamental requirement. Verse 18. They must judge the people fairly. And they need to be careful, verse 19, not to do three things. Don't perverse justice. Don't show partiality. Don't accept a bribe. So justice is important. Whenever you go into the land, Moses says, make sure you establish this network of judges who dispense justice. Why would that be important? Well, there's a so that. We've seen this before in Deuteronomy. So that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. Everything that's commanded in this book is so that people will find life. Everything. That's what the law is about, The people live in, in the life God intends for them a place where poor people are oppressed a place where, where cruelty and corruption go unchecked that's not a place of life that's a place of death ask somebody who lives under a corrupt regime where the law no longer is for the people And they'll tell you, that's a place of death. So right in its infancy of this new nation, God says, choose fair judges. It struck me, like, what what do I say about this? Um, This strikes me as one of those areas that we just take entirely for granted. For so long in Western Europe, it's been part of our heritage with our Judeo-Christian tradition to have systems of law Where for the most part the laws are good and for the most part they are upheld. We take that for granted. But as I was thinking about that this week, I just wondered if we shouldn't pause occasionally and be grateful to God that our lot has fallen like this. That we live in the time and the place that we do. Let's pray for our judiciary. Uh, Let's pray for members of this congregation who work in the law, who uphold justice in our society. Choose fair judges. In verse 14 of chapter 17, we'll jump over to that. We get the second of Israel's leaders, the king. And it's probably a bit weird for us that the king comes second. But it turns out that in Israel, this network of local judges uh, dispensing justice at a local level, they're primary, and the king, this um, sort of royal dynasty, falls in behind that. It's not—it's not a king in a palace somewhere who's the big player. It's—it's it's the judge in our town or village who helps us and, and regulates life for us. Actually, this this makes sense of Israel's history because if you know the story from here on in, it's going to be a few centuries from Moses' sermon before the first king's even appointed. There's a period of the judges. Then you'll find that after a chunk of time when there were kings ruling, there, there's a, another long period of centuries before New Testament times when Israel is without kings. So the people of God here know to live without a king This, this passage isn't prescriptive it's not saying appoint a king it's more like it's saying here's guidance for that time whenever a king is appointed two requirements three restrictions on your kings first requirement verse 15 be sure to appoint over you the king the lord your god chooses Okay, the choice to appoint a king you'll have a role in that the lord says but but i will choose the king again it's one of those moments where it helps if you know the story so the first uh, think of the first couple of israel's kings at least uh, saul and david think of the role that the prophet samuel had in going to choose and anoint them the king would be of the lord's choosing a second requirement he mustn't be from among your bro- sorry, he must be from among your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not a brother Israelite. Aha! There it is, that, that racism that we suspect of, of Israel and of God's people. No. That's not at all what's at issue here. This isn't... uh, I don't know if you remember the debate. Do you remember the debate a while ago about whether the England football team was better served by foreign managers or by English ones? So there was the era of Sven and Fabio, and now we're back to, you know, Roy and Sam and Gareth. I I don't know where you stand on that debate. That's not what this is about. It's not about whether foreign people are better than locals or... In a world where none of the other nations worship the true and the living God, you can't appoint someone from another nation to lead you. Because the essence of leadership in Israel is to lead people in the ways of the true and the living God. Don't appoint anyone as king who doesn't love the Lord your God. Three requirements or three restrictions on any king. Verse 16, he mustn't acquire a great number of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you're not to go back that way again. Very quickly, a king in those days, if he had horses, they weren't pets. He wasn't racing them at Down Royal. They were weapons. They were tanks. The more horses you had, the bigger your army. This is your weaponry. And God says, don't accumulate armaments, weapons. Second restriction, verse 17. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Uh, Those students of history will know that historically, um, if you're a king, you often make marriages not for the same reasons that we would intuitively think of today you make them for political or military alliances to establish those alliances with other nations to bolster the place of your nation on the world stage God says don't do it why? well we've already talked about this that woman that queen that you bring in from another nation will turn you away from the true and the living God, or at least she may do that. Third restriction, verse 17, don't accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Teens who do that often have to exploit their people. If a king draws the wealth of the nation to himself, then there's less to go around among the people. Don't do that. That's not what leadership in the kingdom of God is all about. So let's slow down for a second here. We're, we're hearing that and we think, oh yeah, that's that's nice, that's good. What Moses is saying here is nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It cuts right across everything that every king in these times in the surrounding lands would have been looking for. No weapons. No women, no wealth. Why would I be a king? What's the point? Surely being a king's all about weapons, women and wealth. It's a good question, isn't it? And I'm not sure it's gone away. Whenever we are asked to take up a position of leadership our mind immediately says okay maybe and what's in it for me? Why would I take on the hassle of leading people dealing with their problems and their frustrations? Political power personal allure financial rewards They might just make it worthwhile. Folks, it is not so in the kingdom of God. Last week we talked about worship, and if you remember, we said that worship isn't about the worship leader, it's not even about the worshiper, it's about him the object of our worship. This morning we're talking about leadership. Leadership isn't about the leader either. Leadership is about the people we lead and about doing everything we can to help them connect with him. To be in a faithful relationship with God. Talking about kingship in Israel, Chris Wright, the commentator, says, what matters fundamentally is whether or not the whole covenant people of Israel will remain wholly loyal to Yahweh, their God. The value of a king is assessed solely by the extent to which he'll help or hinder that loyalty. A king is only as good as his spiritual leadership. Moses spells out in verses 18 to 20 how a king should hope to exercise good leadership is to pay careful attention to the law. God's word, God's ways are the things that shape his vision, his decision making, his behavior in every sphere. Political, administrative, judicial, military, Listen, some of us here are trying to do this, this leadership thing. I hope we're hearing this. If we want to lead God's people, this is the only way to do it. Attentive to the word of God. What, Lord, is your will? Show it to me. Help me to live it. That others might join me in that too. I want to take us in a slightly different direction for a moment just to to keep thinking on this kingship theme. I wonder how this project worked out in Israel. This The period when they did have kings again. Some of you will know the story better than others. A few centuries after Moses is speaking here, Israel begins to have its first kings. Uh, you may be Know the stories you maybe don't. King Saul, people think he's bad because what they learned about him in Sunday school. Saul was amazing. Read about him sometime. Beautiful guy. Started so well, ended really badly. King David, again, in Sunday school, we're, we're told what a great guy he was. And he was. Loved the Lord, lived with great vigour. But some of the stuff he got up to, oh my goodness! We we don't do that in Sunday school, and that brings me to Solomon. Solomon's another one. If if I asked you, um, let, let's we're, let's dwell on Solomon. I think he's he's a helpful place to pause. What do you know about Solomon? Well, again, in Sunday club, in Sunday school, if if you dealt with Solomon, you probably learned that story where. God appeared to him in a dream and God said to him, Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give you. I just think that's a great question, isn't it? Can you picture that? God comes to you tonight, you're lying in bed, you're dreaming and the Lord somehow communicates with you whatever you want. Just name it. Aren't many better questions than that to test our hearts, are there? see what's in there whatever you want and solomon gives a brilliant answer you'd think he was he'd had Deuteronomy 17 those last verses 18 to 20 open before him he says this give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people to distinguish between right and wrong for who's able to govern this people of yours he knows he's not up to the job he knows he needs wisdom to lead And he asks God for it. That's the one thing I want, he says. I want your wisdom to lead your people. That's exactly what Israel's looking for in a king. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. That's why we teach our kids that story. It's brilliant. Do you know how it ends for Solomon? This is less well known. I don't remember doing this in Sunday club. He goes off the rails and he wrecks everything. In the next generation, Israel goes into civil war and ends up a northern and southern kingdom. So bad has the state of their kingship become. What does Solomon do? Do you know what he does? It's as though he goes back into Deuteronomy, sees the checklist of God, what God wanted a king To to not be, and he does it all. He does the horses thing. He goes down to Egypt, gets horses, and builds himself that army. That's what he does. Weapons, women, 700 wives. I know, don't go there. 700 wives trying to strike up these military alliances, bringing every culture, every religion, every other idea in the world right into the heart of the place where he's supposed to be leading. Wealth. It was the wonder of the world. People came from all over to see it. The narrator, when you read about this in 1 Kings, he tells us entirely predictably what the outcome is. Solomon's heart turned away from the Lord. Folks, if I've understood Old Testament history right, Solomon's early reign is the high point of the nation of Israel. But within half a generation, it's all turned round and the whole thing's come crashing down. Northern, southern kingdoms, kings in the north, kings in the south, each one worse than the other. We're talking today about leadership, and when I read the Bible, when I read the Old Testament, with the question of leadership in the back of my mind, it feels like one long exercise in frustration. Will there not be one good leader? Will there never be Never be one worthy king. Very quickly, not in any detail at all, these last couple of categories of leadership, and then we'll wrap things up. Moses turns to the priest. Chapter 18. Actually, if you... If you look at it, the only help this passage is to us is it tells us that there is such a thing as a priest. It doesn't really say much about what he does or what kind of a person he's supposed to be. It's actually mostly about um, making sure that the priests are provided for. It felt to me as I read it that it had like the feel of a, a remit of a committee in church house who has to do with the payment of ministers. Okay, That's all it is. But there is such a thing as a priest. The prophet comes last in our set of four leadership roles. The commentators say that there might be some um, method in the order in which these four leaders are introduced to us. Like when you put the judge before the king, it's like saying, yeah, you can have a king, but the, the judges um, have a higher priority than a royal dynasty. The judge and the king, they both are submit to the law of God as the priest faithfully preaches that. But what if all of those three forms fail? What if leadership goes astray? Well, then the last word's going to be God's. God has the right to put his last word in the mouth of a prophet and to unleash his word on his people. And actually often in the history of his people, he had to do that. We're out of time this morning. I hope I hope it's been helpful to see a little bit how leadership in Israel worked. I hope it's been helpful to, to think a little bit about leadership for us. If you took some time to read and reflect on these chapters, I think you'd... You'd learn a lot about the nature of leadership in the kingdom of God. As I was trying to get away from the detail a wee bit and ask the question, well, so what? I had a strange experience, a strange feeling with these passages. It's been a bit like reading an old handwritten letter. What do I mean? Do you remember the old days when people used to handwrite letters? Okay. I don't know if you ever got a letter from somebody quite posh. Right? Two things about them that I remember. They were always written in fountain pen. You know? Nice nice writing, fountain pen. But they always came on do you know the paper? Quite thick. And it had a watermark on it of some sort. Yeah? People know what I'm talking about? As I've been reading this part of Deuteronomy it's felt like reading one of those letters. The words are there on the page, but there's an image behind all the words. There's a watermark. Can't read a can hardly read a verse of this without noticing and seeing that image. I can see the face of a leader who ticks all these boxes as I read these passages, as I read about true leadership. I see Jesus. He's the prophet who spoke God's word and knew Moses, only much, much greater than Moses. He was a judge, wasn't he? Do you remember they used to throw him difficult cases out in public to try to discredit him? Here's a woman caught in adultery. What are you going to do about that, big lad? always the wisest and most gracious judgments. He was the priest who came to bring us back to God. Most priests make sacrifices on behalf of the people. They take an animal or something they sacrifice it to God. Not this priest. He said, I'm the priest but I'm the sacrifice too. As he gave his life For us on the cross. And what a king! What a king! All his life they tried to make him the wrong kind of king. I don't know if you know this about Jesus, there's a, a moment or two in the Gospels where people are loving what he's doing and they want to make him into a king. But he refuses. He will not do it. He won't do the the women, wealth and weapons thing. He's not into that. He won't do it. It took till the very end till he allowed them to make him king. And, and, And you know this part of the story. He allowed them to give him a royal robe, didn't he? after they'd knocked him around beating the living daylights out of him they allowed him to give him a crown but they made sure it had big long thorns in it and they pressed it deep into his skull they gave him a royal scepter here take that staff and they kneeled down before him and they mocked him Hail, King of the Jews. Friends, can I tell you, Jesus Christ was never more regal than he was in that moment. Never more the leader than he was just then. When they'd given him his robe, when they'd given him his crown, and when they finally enthroned him. They didn't do it on a on a beautiful throne in a palace. They did it in a hill outside of Jerusalem on a cross, an instrument of torture. And this is how he leads. This is not the failure of his leadership. This is the culmination of it. This is him Doing exactly what he wanted to do, what he had come to do. To give himself for us. To die. So that we live. Folks, he's a king, alright. But he's a different kind of king. When he leads, it's not about him. It's about us. And bringing us back to the Father. There's a scene I love in the, the first of the Hobbit movies. Um, I mentioned it here once before. Um, if you, you know the scene, it'll come back to you. And if you don't, hopefully I can draw you into it a little bit. It, it's, it's nighttime. Uh, the dwarves in, are on a journey. And they're sitting around a campfire having a chat and there's a bit of dissension going on against the leader of their gang, Thorin. One of the the dwarfs, Balin, uh, tells the others about his memories of Thorin from some time back. He's he's recollecting a, a particularly intense battle. Against a, a horrible and a frightening enemy. And he recounts how the, the battle was turning against the dwarfs and how Thorin's father, uh, the king of the dwarfs, was killed. And then Balin describes at that moment when everything seems lost, when defeat was inevitable, how, with an act of quite breathtaking courage and sacrifice, Thorin Oakenshield steps forward. And he takes on the enemy single-handedly. And Balin retells this story and he shares it with these dwarfs, with these friends. What he thought of his leader as he watched him on the battlefield that day. Looking at Thorin, he says, there is one I could follow. There is one I could call king. folks we can't say that easily in 2017 leadership has fallen in the hard times i didn't elaborate on it maybe there's good reason in many cases why we struggle to trust our leaders like every generation that's gone before us and probably any every generation that will come after us we're we, we struggle, we ask, is there no good leader here? Is there no one worthy to be king? There is one. His judgments are right and true. His word is true. His rule is perfect. And he's loved us enough to give himself for us. There is one such leader, and his name is Jesus. Balin said of Thorin Oakenshield, "There is one I could follow, one I could fall king, could call king." I say of Jesus Christ, he's the one I do follow. He's the one I call king. And I wonder, will you join me? Could you say that too? Let me pray. Father God, we struggle to give ourselves into your hands. fall in under the leadership of your son Jesus Lord there may just be reasons for that it may be that we've lost confidence that any leader in this world is truly trustworthy that there's anyone that we could follow Lord, we thank you for your word which shows us that your heart was always for leaders who did their people good. Lord, we thank you even for the honesty of your word that showed that no leader ever matched up. And Lord, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this king. This one who came. He is the one we could follow. He's the one we could call king. Lord, I pray for somebody here today that for the first time they'll say, it's my time to bow the knee and to follow this king. For those of us who already claim allegiance to Jesus Christ, Lord, show us all the ways in which we still doubt him, All the ways in which we're half-hearted and we hold back. Help us to look again at how he led. What kind of a king he is. And then help us fall in behind him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.